Hi, everyone. Hi, guys. Welcome to Wicked, Weird, and Grim, your number one podcast for a trip through the history of the odd, haunting, and mystifying. I'm Caroline. And I'm Ara. And together, we're the Grimm Sisters. We realized that just a few weeks ago on Valentine's Day was the anniversary of a really strange unsolved disappearance of a little girl right here in North Carolina, really close to where we live. I was eight years old when this happened. It was in 2000. But I vividly remember hearing about this case when it first happened. I, again, was eight years old, so I didn't really understand it. But I knew that there was this little girl who disappeared and... Obviously, that was really concerning. But when I more recently read up on this case, it really hit home. This little girl reminds me so much of myself back then. We were around the same age. We had shared interests like basketball, and we were even scared of some of the same things. So the fact that this little girl vanished without a trace is so freaky to me. Like we were the same age, you know, like it's just so strange to think that if I had just lived in her community an hour away from where I actually live. She and I could have been friends. That just freaks me out so much. It's always hard when it hits close to home. Like, what is the possibility that our paths crossed? Yeah. So, Asia Degree was born in Shelby, North Carolina on August 5th, 1990. She had one brother. His name was O'Brien, and he was a year older than her. Her parents, Aquila and Harold, were, by all accounts, really great parents, They were pretty protective of Aisha and O'Brien. They made sure that both children were, you know, close to their extended family who also lived in Shelby. Some of them even lived like right across the street. They were, as a family, really involved in church. And they made sure that both Aisha and O'Brien were really good students and focused a lot on school. Yeah. In fact, it was a family rule that both kids were supposed to come straight home from school and start their homework before they were really allowed to do anything fun. Harold and Aquila both had typical eight to five jobs, meaning that the kids got home from school before they got home from work. So Aisha and O'Brien were home by themselves for a couple hours right after school. I think it says a whole lot about both of these kids that they could be relied on to come home and actually do their homework instead of doing like fun stuff. And maybe that's just because I have ADHD. But if I had been home like that as a nine-year-old, there is no way I would have started my homework. I would have watched TV. I would have been eating all kinds of snacks and sweets. I would have been doing literally anything but thinking about school. (laughs) So I'm deeply impressed with these kids. They were really responsible. And that's just one of the really long list of reasons that it's so strange that Aisha went missing the way she did. Yeah. So Aisha and her brother were also involved in a local basketball league for kids. Aisha loved it and she was super competitive and she was the star point guard with her team being undefeated. On Friday, February 11th, 2000, Aisha's school, Faustin Elementary, was closed Aisha's parents still had to work that day, so she spent the day at her aunt's house, and that evening, her aunt took both her and her brother to their basketball practice, and then the following morning, they went to their basketball game. Unfortunately, Aisha's team lost their game that Saturday. Aisha had fouled out and was really upset over the loss. It was the first time her team had lost a game, so her teammates were understandably upset too. And Aisha's parents reminded Aisha, you know, it's just a game and losing is a part of life sometimes. And O'Brien's team played right after Aisha's team. 
and by the time his game began, Aisha had calmed down and was having fun cheering her brother on. So then the very next day was Sunday, February 13th, and Aisha's family spent the day at a relative's house, which I think was pretty normal for them on a Sunday afternoon. When the family got home that night, the kids' usual bedtime routine was interrupted because the power went out in their neighborhood. Usually the kids both got baths before bed, but on this night they just went to bed and planned to get up super early the next morning and take baths before school when the power's back on. Mm -hmm. And Harold checked in on the kids at around 1230 and then again at 2.30 a.m. on February 14th, and both times the kids were sleeping quite peacefully. February 14th was Aquila and Harold's wedding anniversary, which makes the events of that day just so much more painful for them, I'm sure. At 5.45 a.m., Aquila woke up and she started running a bath for the kids as planned. She went in to wake them up and she found O'Brien in the bed like he was supposed to be, but Aisha was not in her bed. Aquila immediately checked all the obvious places throughout the house that Aisha might be, you know, the kitchen, the bathroom, and so on, but Aisha was nowhere to be found. Aquila even went outside and checked the cars to see if Aisha was, for some reason, there, but no Aisha. At this point, Aquila woke Harold up. Harold was initially really calm about this. His mother lived right across the street, and so he just kind of thought, okay, Aisha has gone to her grandmother's house for some reason in the middle of the night. He immediately called his mother to check, and of course, Aisha was not there. And so this is really when Harold and Aquila really began to panic. The degrees called the police right away, and by 6.40 a.m., the police had arrived. They brought police dogs to assist in the search, but they could not pick up on Aisha's scent, likely because it had rained heavily sometime in the early morning. Aquila began searching the neighborhood, calling Aisha's name. This woke up a lot of neighbors, and by 7 a.m., most of the neighborhood was helping search for Aisha. Unfortunately, the search turned up nothing. Something I read I thought was really amazing was that all of those neighbors who woke up like that canceled their plans, called off of work, totally upended their own days to help with this search. And I think that says a lot about the community there. So O'Brien shared a room with Aisha but he was also not able to give the police any clues. He had heard Aisha's bed squeak during the night, but he just kind of assumed she was rolling over, getting comfortable in the bed, not that she was, you know, getting out of bed and leaving. Aisha's disappearance hit the local news quite quickly with tips coming in. It seemed that there had been multiple sightings of her in the early morning hours. However, many of them were unhelpful. See, A lot of the people who saw Aisha didn't realize they may have seen something suspicious until they saw the story on the news. Multiple people remembered seeing a small black woman walking along the highway in the early hours of February 14th. And yeah, you heard that right. These people saw Aisha Degree, a nine-year-old child, walking down the side of the road and thought she was an adult woman. And Aisha didn't look older than she was. She looked every bit like any other nine-year-old little girl. She was obviously a child. But unfortunately, she was mistaken for an adult woman. And this was a problem faced by many black children. They're often mistaken for adults and thus treated accordingly. And there are so many cases of black children being treated by police, the media, and society as if they're much older than they are. And this, of course, has devastating consequences. And unfortunately, this is probably what happened with Asia. 
there were at least two drivers who saw Aisha walking along the highway and recognized that this is super weird and very suspicious. Yeah. The first was a truck driver who saw her walking south along Highway 18, just north of its junction with Highway 180. She was wearing a long sleeve white t-shirt and white pants. Second, another driver saw Aisha in the same area. He recognized that it was super weird for this little girl to be walking along the road alone in the middle of the night. He wasn't really sure what to do about this. I mean, it's 2000, so, you know, most people didn't have cell phones. And so he couldn't just call the police right away. So he just kind of decided to keep an eye on her. So he just kept following alongside of her. And then when he got to the point where he was like ahead of her, he would turn around and then circle back. So he kind of is just following this little girl. And unfortunately, this didn't really work out. <laughs> but no, like, I would immediately think that this person was going to try to grab me or something. Oh, for sure. Which unfortunately, that happened. Yeah. Aisha had been taught not to trust strangers, especially strangers in a strange car that is repeatedly like recircling behind her. And so she eventually got spooked yeah. by this occurrence of this man following her. And she ran into the trees lining the highway. Unfortunately, she was never seen again. Based on these sightings of Asia, it is thought that she left home around 3.45 in the morning. Since she was seen by herself, it's likely that she left on her own of her free will. She had packed a backpack with clothes ahead of time and taken that with her. And based on this information, again, it's likely that she did all of this by herself and nobody knows why. The fact that she probably left home on her own is strange because she was so young, but also because there was this terrible storm happening around the time that she left. So it was cold, it was pouring rain, and there was a ton of thunder and lightning. Also, according to Aquila, Asha was deathly afraid of dogs. And I can speak to this because my whole life I have also been afraid of dogs. I don't know why. Don't come at me. I know dogs aren't going to hurt me, but I've also always been afraid of dogs. And so it's super strange to me that Aisha would willingly just go off on her own like that. I mean, dogs are everywhere. And when you're afraid of something that is everywhere like that, you go straight into fight or flight mode. At a young age, as young as Aisha, I was already figuring out ways to you know, deal with the fact that dogs were always going to be part of my life. They were always going to be there. And that led to me being really, you know, hyper vigilant about it. When I was outside, I was always kind of like keeping an eye out for dogs so that I could run inside if I saw one or something like that. Right. And so it's super strange to me that Aisha would just willingly go out on her own like that. I mean, I was so afraid I wouldn't even walk around the block by myself in my like super safe neighborhood. I wasn't afraid that someone was going to come get me. I was afraid that there was going to be a dog running towards me. And, you know, so I would always, if I was going to go around the block by myself, I wasn't going to go by myself. You know, I was going to go with my mom or friends. So it's super weird to me that Aisha would just go out on her own like that, especially considering the weather and how early it was. But just the fact that she would risk a run-in with dogs out on her own with like nobody to help her is so strange to me. Because when you have a phobia, it is all-consuming. Even if it is something like dogs where you definitely know they're not going to hurt you, it just takes over your brain. So I just really don't understand why she was so willing to do that if she really was as afraid as her mom said that she was. Also, what's strange to me is what motivated her to yeah. leave. The only thing I can think of is she was still very upset about losing the basketball game. But, but like, I don't know. Even then, I mean, what what purpose would running away have, you know? Yeah. 
It's just I'm very like, strange. Is she running away because she wants to like, you know, the childhood dream of like, I'm going to go off and I'm going to have an adventure. Yeah. Or I'm going to join like the the women's NBA or Some I'm going like to that, yeah. go back to the gym where I lost at basketball and practice shots or something. I just cannot feasibly think of a reason that she would go out in this horrible weather with the threat of dogs being everywhere at 3:45 a.m. as a 9-year-old child. Like I it is yeah. not it's not computing. I know I've heard something. I didn't put this in the script cuz I didn't see anything about it and I also don't think that it is a valid theory, but there was also a whole thing of um, at her school, they were reading some book. I can't remember the name of it, but in the book, these two little kids like run away together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some people thought maybe that she was like inspired by that book and was running away like those little kids in the book. But the thing is that in the book, it's two kids running away, like two best friends running away. Yeah. So I can't imagine that she would have done that without including a friend, you know, and all of her friends were kind of like, what? Yeah. So that to me is just really weird. And then also, it's not like it's a book that she would have really related to. Like the characters were nothing like her. So it's just not a very good theory. But yeah, I don't know. I think the whole point that bothers us the most is probably because we can't figure out why. Yeah, for sure. Like, and that's just a reoccurring thing. Like we never find answers for that ever. Yeah. So on February 15th, Candy wrappers, a pencil, and a Mickey Mouse hair bow were found in a shed that was close to the highway where Aisha was seen running into the woods. And all of these items belonged to Aisha. Adding to the mystery, there was also a photograph of this little girl. Um, and they still don't know who the girl in the picture is. Um, but she's So she's still unidentified. Um, but it was found in the shed with Aisha's belongings. Um, however, I can also think that like maybe it had nothing to do with her. But I don't know. It still is really strange. Well, my first thought is like either Aisha used that shed for shelter during the storm and it happened to be there or she was taken there and someone already had a picture of a girl in there because oh, that yeah. was the same person that might have taken Aisha. That's a really good theory, actually. I hadn't even thought of that. I don't know. It's so strange. So the search for Aisha went on for a week. 9,000 man hours had been invested in searching for her. Over 300 leads had been submitted to the police. But after all of this, nothing led anywhere. On August 3rd, 2001, so over a year later... Aisha's backpack was found at a construction site in Burke County, which is 28 miles north of Shelby. It was wrapped in two plastic bags, and it was immediately identified as Aisha's because her name and phone number were written on the bag. And also, this is just a side note, the guy who found it at first, he did not recognize her name. He was just like, huh, this is really weird. I found this weird like backpack and so he brought it home with him and his wife she's the one who immediately recognized the name and so huge props to that guy for taking it home with him and not just throwing it away because I feel like I would have just thrown it away (laughs) I wouldn't have I would have been like nothing weird here like I believe in the best in people you know yeah but yeah um so her name and phone number written on the bag and that's how it was identified as hers inside the backpack was a copy of Dr. Seuss's McElligot's pool and a new Kids on the Block t-shirt. 
And according to Aisha's parents, neither of these items belonged to her. This was the last real lead in the case. Like, again, that makes me think this was a person. For some reason, mm-hmm. I'm always like, it's a man. It's a yeah, man. But it's a man. It, this was a person who had taken multiple little girls and yeah. was like getting rid of items. Like, that's what I'm interpreting this as. But yeah, I mean, I think most people do. Like, I. I- I mean, I don't know what else it could have been, sadly. That said, the FBI believes that Asia may have been seen getting into a dark green early 1970s Lincoln Continental Mark IV or possibly a Ford Thunderbird from the same era along Route 18, close to where she was last seen. In 2020, an inmate named Marcus Mellon claimed to the Shelby Star newspaper that Aisha had been murdered and he knew where to find her body. Of course, police investigated this, but once again, this led nowhere, so he's probably not telling the truth. We've talked about this before in the Brittany Drexel case when they kept giving this family false hope. Yeah. All of these inmates saying, oh, I know who did this. I know this. I know that. Yeah. And- it's just so cruel. Because- it is. I feel like as soon as you become the victim of a terrible crime, whether it's a murder or you know a disappearance like this or just anything that's sort of a mystery, you become not only the victim of that crime, but then potentially a victim of a whole bunch of other crimes. Like I was listening to a podcast recently and there was a woman who went missing and her family trusted this supposed like private investigator to help them find her. And it turns out that he was just scamming them for money and he had gone down to the Caribbean to quote look for her, but was really just living the high life while he was down there. And then one of his associates who thought who was like also being scammed called the family to tell them what was really going on. And, you know, that's not only like thousands and thousands of dollars that those people wasted with this guy who wasn't really helping them, but it's also time, you know, like who knows what happened to that girl in that time, you know? Yeah. And it's just also like a special place in hell for people who extort from victims or like victims families. Truly, truly. I can't (sighs) imagine what those people go through. It's just absolutely horrible. And speaking of Aisha's family, they have really done what they can to keep her case alive and still relevant in the media, especially Every year in February, the Degrees host a walk in Asia's honor, which raises money to continue funding their search. Yeah, they do that walk. Also, apparently, they wanted to host the walk on Valentine's Day, since that's the day that she went missing. But Mm -hmm. they realized eventually that that was going to kind of ruin that day for other people. So they changed the date. Now they just do it sometime in February. Yeah. Which I think is really sweet. They're like, clearly just really nice people. It's Um, also so horrible that Every Valentine's mm-hmm. Day and every anniversary of the degrees yeah. is affected by this horrific loss. Like it's not only an anniversary of their marriage, but it's now an anniversary of the disappearance of their daughter. Like, yeah. I can't imagine going through that. Like such a happy day just turns into this nightmare every year. Yeah. In 2015, the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office put up a $25,000 reward for information leading to the arrest of the person responsible for Asia's disappearance. A local group put up another $20,000, so there's like a $45,000 reward for her. The reward is still up. There are also age-progressed images of what Asia may look like today. And then in 2013... Aquila was interviewed by Jet Magazine, where she discussed the lack of media attention around Aisha's case. 
because while there was definitely a lot of media attention here in North Carolina, I don't think it was a lot outside of where we live. Mm-hmm. And so and I've never heard of Asia before. Oh, wow. Yeah. I wonder how common it is for people to have just never heard of her, even mm-hmm. though they live here. But yeah, so in Jet Magazine, Aquila said, quote, missing white children get more attention. I don't understand why. I know if you ask them, they will say, it's not racial. Oh, really? I'm not going to argue because I have common sense, end quote. Thing that is so wild is that a lot of times in these situations, you know, the media loves like people who are the quote, like perfect victim. And it's usually like a pretty white blonde girl who had everything going for her. And, you know, she was a good person and blah, blah, blah. But like, what is a more perfect victim than a little girl who by all accounts was like a really good kid. She was active in sports and had lots of friends and was like really smart. What is more perfect than her? You know? So like, I don't understand why people wouldn't give a story like this just as much attention as they would, you know, like John Benet Ramsey or whoever else. Not saying that those kids don't also deserve that attention. They do. But it's just that so did Asia and so did a lot yeah. of other kids. There shouldn't be hegemony or hierarchies when it comes to victims. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, there shouldn't be any at all. No. But especially when it comes to victims. And we've even talked about this with the Taco Bell Strangler. Yeah. So many black and people of color, when their loved ones go missing, it's like, oh, okay. That like, sucks. There's nothing. That's it. It's like, yeah. that's unfortunate. Okay. Right. On to the next news cycle. Physically, it makes me sick and I can't imagine the people who write these news articles or who do media coverage and who give prevalence to like certain cases over others. I can't imagine living with that kind of guilt and that kind of shame if I did that. I know what you mean. And, you know, I was thinking in the same way that I hear the story of Aisha and I relate to her. Like, I know that she and I had things in common at the same age, you know, at the same time. Mm -hmm. I know that there are people out there who, if they heard the story, would also feel that same connection and would care so much and would, you know, spread news articles and spread the story, but they just don't know about it. Like, I didn't even know about this before we covered it. Right. And I've been living in North Carolina since what? 2007? At least. And the fact is, like, you know, there's so many other people that we will never be able to cover in this podcast or in general that, you know, they don't get any media coverage. Yeah. At all. And it's just, ugh, it just makes me sick. But yeah, it does. um, Yeah, my hypothesis for this scenario is that almost sounds too clinical and too scientific my hunch for this situation is that Asia, I don't know somehow got it in her head that she needed to go somewhere do something you know the nine-year-old tendency mm-hmm. that oh I'm, I'm gonna go do xyz and then you're on your way doing it and before you even realize oh this is <laughs> this I don't know how to get home out of my and league. there's a scary yeah. person following me and yeah and I think maybe that car scared her. She ran into the woods. Maybe she ran into someone and she was taken to this shed momentarily to be to be held. And this is where he'd held other girls before. Again, yeah. I'm making this predator into a man. But I mean, statistically. And I don't know, maybe he moved her or something happened. And then the year later, he was disposing of evidence and evidence for other girls that have gone missing were in the backpack as well. And that's why it didn't belong to her. Yeah. Or maybe someone found her backpack and was like, oh, I'm just going to use this for my own stuff and didn't know who the name was on the front. I 
I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, I think about it. I'm terrified and just so scared for this little girl. I know. And I think one thing that I just kind of, just a theory I just kind of thought of was, I wonder if, so, you know, she's walking along the side of the road and obviously the weather is really bad and we know she did go into the shed, but I wonder if after whatever happened in the shed, I wonder if she could have come back out to the road and was then, this is terrible, but hit by a car. And that person didn't know what, like they just kind of panicked and didn't want to get in trouble. So they hit it perhaps, but that doesn't then explain like why there would have been someone else's stuff in her backpack. Yeah. The only thing I can think of is it was other evidence from another kidnapping murder. Yeah. That's the only thing that makes sense to me. Someone found the backpack, like a kid found the Mm -hmm. backpack even and was using it. I just don't understand how it would end up in the construction area though. Like, yeah. I'm thinking maybe with the construction area because it was buried and the person who found it like accidentally like dug it up and was like, huh, what is this? Uh, So I wonder maybe if it was buried and then it became a construction site. Yeah. I wonder if, I wonder if Aisha's body could be in that construction site. It could be. I'm going to assume that they searched the area, but that doesn't mean that they would have found it, you know? Yeah. Because by that point- I don't know. I don't even assume they would have searched the area because- Yeah, that's true. As we've seen, there's there's very little police help on this. But there's a really famous case of a girl who went missing while on vacation, and they think that she might be a Polish woman now. Madeline McCann. Yeah. I think the best case scenario in this situation would be like a scenario in which Aisha just, I don't know, she grew up and she's still out there somewhere, but kind of like the Madeline McCann situation where- Essentially, this Polish woman thinks that she's Madeline McCann and was kind of brought to um, her parents that she has now through this man who took her, apparently. I'm not sure. Yeah, but I think that's the theory. Unfortunately, this is one of those episodes that, I mean, we don't have a good ending. Mm-hmm. We don't have a conclusion. And it's just kind of a heartbreaking episode. So Yeah. It's the grim part of our name. Yes. It's um, one of those things that I feel like on one hand, it's a lot less grim than some other missing children stories, because I mm-hmm. feel like with a lot of those stories, there are really good suspects and we know exactly what those suspects were capable of. Mm-hmm. But with Asia, we don't even have suspects. Like we have nothing. And so the grim part is that there's so many horrible possibilities and none of them, like there's not any of them that are good. They're all bad. Yeah. Even if she's still alive out there somewhere, she's obviously been through some stuff. Yeah. For sure, proceeds from this episode will go towards the Degree family walk. Yeah. If I can find a fundraiser link for that. Yeah. And if not, it will be donated to the Missing Children's Fund. Yes. And this goes without being said, but if you have any information about Asia, about her disappearance, about anything that you think could have any connection whatsoever. And even if there's just this one tiny thing, I would report it to the Shelby police yeah. and just try to keep this in the back of your mind whenever you're going through everyday life and remember if anything comes up because other cases have been solved. So we can yeah. hope for as best a conclusion to this case as possible for the Degree family and our hearts go out to them and what they have to suffer every February 14th of every year. So, yep. With that, we will do our conclusion. 
As usual, you can find us anywhere that you listen to podcasts. We'd especially appreciate if you followed us on Spotify or on Apple Podcast. We are, of course, on all the social medias. We have a Facebook group, which is just Wicked Weird and Grim. We have our Twitter, which is Wicked Weird Grim. And then everything else, TikTok, Instagram, our Wicked Weird and Grim. And then we also have a Patreon. Find us under our name, Wicked Weird and Grim. You can always leave us a comment on Anchor. Comment in on our episodes. I think we got a few comments on the last episode on St. Andrews. Emily asks if I have walked over the Patrick Hamilton initials. Yes, I have, which is why I'm going to have to do the May dip. And (laughs) unfortunately, I actually won't be here in May to do the May dip. So fingers crossed I graduate. I'm going to do it when I come back. So um, maybe you can do the May dip wherever you are. Yes. And then our other comment was if I have seen any ghosts since uploading the episode. And I am proud to say, no, I have not. Although today, when I was walking down the street, I saw that in the cathedral ruins, there was something moving at the top of it. And I got really freaked out. But it turns out that they had opened the towers and people were up (laughs) on the very top of the tower. So I wonder if they saw the monk who's supposed to help you if you trip. But So yeah, that... Those are our most recent comments. We always encourage you to comment and reach out to us on Anchor um, or on any social media that we have. And I guess we will close with that. Yeah. We will see you (laughs) next Wicked Weird Wednesday with the Grim Sisters. Bye, guys. Goodbye. What is our usual close? I don't remember. So we will talk to you next week. Or no, we will talk to you in two weeks because we're doing bi-weekly episodes now. Yes. I think. We're trying to anyway. <laughs> and um, do we have an outro? I don't think we do. I think we just say bye. Okay. Thank you for be- getting Wicked, Weird, and Grim with us. And we will see you next week. Or no, we will see you in two weeks. You will hear us in two weeks. Yes. <laughs> we're, we're such a mess. <laughs> we it's really been- are. Almost two years of this, and we still still haven't been that long. That's crazy. One year? It's been – well, it was one year in August. Yeah, so So. two years is next August. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. I know. Anyways, (laughs) we will see you next – no, 